Hey everyone, I want to let you know that support for today's episode comes from AL.com, Alabama's number one media site, covering in-depth news, special interest stories, college football, and everything there is to love about living in Alabama, accessible via desktop and mobile apps. Check them out at AL.com. Welcome to the Art Stories Podcast. So there I was, standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. A minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out and she like smiles at All-American Nashville smile and she, she introduces herself, she shakes my hand, hey I'm Taylor, hey I'm the groom. We're bringing you true personal stories told in the Southern tradition and recorded in front of a live audience. I caught just enough of the video to see a very large man making this slow walk toward a van, wearing absolutely nothing but his underwear and coated in grease. And I'm going to stop right there, and the rest of it is history. I'm your host, Chris Kinsley. Today, we're hoping to bring you a little bit of holiday magic, and that is totally appropriate since people are always talking about how magical this time of year is. I mean, it makes sense. There are twinkling lights everywhere, presents wondrously appear in surprising ways, and there are smells and sounds that just aren't present any other time of the year. But for our storytellers today, there is a very specific source of magic. Their grandmothers, who seem capable of conjuring holiday wizardry in ways that no one else can. Our first story is from our annual December Art Stories event from last year, where our theme was Tis the Season, Stories About the Holidays. Here's storyteller Leonard Lee Smith. My Granny Smith was everything good about Christmas for me. The day after Thanksgiving, she would tune the digital clock radio on her kitchen counter to the Christmas Carol station, and her house would explode with decorations. The artificial tree was heavy with ornaments and lights. Garland was put over the picture frames and the mirrors. Felt elves and Santa Clauses were scattered over the coffee table and bookshelves. And on her front door hung a poinsettia bouquet and below it hung five silver bells that chimed to announce the arrival of holiday visitors. She sewed a brand new pair of pajamas for each of her five grandchildren every Christmas. She scoured catalogs and newspaper advertisements and went to stores all over town to make sure we got the exact toy that we wanted for Christmas. But her real language of love was food. She cooked for an entire week before the Christmas Eve meal. Her house was so tiny it barely accommodated us all, and she had to press every table and auxiliary chair into service to get us seated for the holiday meal. We sat down to a table so laden with food there was barely room for the place settings. Her sewing machine cabinet did side duty as a sideboard to hold the desserts, and every special request and favorite recipe had been made to specification. 
The year I turned 10, my mother moved the remnants of our family to sunny Southern California. My beautiful and elegant mother took to California like a swan to a royal lake. I was a fat, awkward child. <laughs> I was having extreme difficulty with the transition to a California lifestyle. My mother was always encouraging me to lose weight and trying to help with that endeavor. She had been a fat child herself, but with puberty, she had gained height and lost weight and undergone the proverbial ugly duckling transformation to become a great beauty in high school. She saw weight loss as the panacea of all problems and believed it to be the key to my happiness. I think she was very relieved to have me away from the annual sugar binges and weight gain that my grandmother's cooking provided. It was a Sunday evening, and I was moping around the house, dreading Monday and the return to school, but there was only one week left before Christmas break. I was desperately missing Granny Smith and my Southern Christmas. I had spent Thanksgiving with my stepfather's extended family, and they were polite, kind people, but I didn't know them, and I fit poorly into their routine, and I was afraid that Christmas would be more of the same. And then the phone rang. It was Granny Smith. She always took advantage of the discounted long-distance rates after 7 p.m. on Sundays. We chatted with her, my younger brother Todd and I, for almost an hour, and she sent her love and assured us that she had found the exact Christmas gifts that we wanted and that they would arrive by Christmas. Before she got off the phone, she asked to speak to my mother. She told my mother that she would ship a Christmas package the following day and it would arrive on Thursday. If it did not arrive on Thursday, she asked my mother to call and let her know, and she would check to see what the holdup was. My mother said thank you and hung up the phone. Now, this was in the days before it was possible to track a package with the U.S. Postal Service. And so my mother wondered aloud. She said, I don't know why she's so certain it'll be here on Thursday. When you ship a package with the U.S. Postal Service, it arrives when it arrives. I hope it's not a large package and that she hasn't spent a great deal of money on the postage. It cost a lot to ship things across the country. Now, despite their differences, my mother admired and respected Granny Smith, who was a woman of very modest means. She had been a widow for almost 30 years. She had worked only menial jobs over her life, and for her, money was always scarce. Sure enough, Thursday afternoon after school, the phone rang. However, it was not the US Postal Service. It was the Greyhound bus lines calling to tell us we had a package waiting for us at the bus terminal in Claremont, California. My mother said to the clerk on the phone, I didn't even know that Greyhound shipped freight. Oh yes, said the clerk, we're very reasonable, much cheaper than the US Postal Service because we don't deliver door to door. We have some of the cheapest rates around. This annoyed my mother because the bus station was over 10 miles away. 
The clerk informed her that the bus station was open 24 hours a day and that there was a shipping clerk on duty around the clock and we could pick the package up at any time. So after supper, we drove to the bus station. We went in to see the clerk and he confirmed that we had a package. And then he looked at my mother and said, would you like to pull the car around to the loading bay? And my mother said, what for? He said, oh, the package, it's too large to hand over the counter. And she said, are you sure you have the right package? And he was kind of indignant and said, yes, it's the one addressed to Lee and Todd Smith. So we drove around the back to discover a box large enough to hold a small refrigerator or dishwasher. As he hoisted it into our trunk, he said, this barely makes it inside the maximum freight dimensions. And he went to get some twine to tie our trunk lid down. My brother and I were giddy with excitement on the way home, wondering what was in the box. My mother was not in such a good humor. She knew her ex-mother-in-law well and was suspicious of the box. We arrived home and the box was so heavy we couldn't get it out of the trunk. We had to go inside and get our stepfather to help us. He moaned as he set the box down in the living room and said, what the heck did she send, a jeweler safe? My brother and I tore into the box and as we opened it, the smell of our grandmother's house wafted into the room. It was a mixture of fried meat, grease, furniture polish, and cigarette smoke. <laughs> There, under wadded newspaper and excelsior, was our southern Christmas. There were packages wrapped in bright paper with bows to go under the tree. There was a new pair of pajamas for each of us, neatly folded in brown paper. And there were decorative tins and repurposed Cool Whip containers galore. <laughs> we opened them to discover mounds of homemade Christmas confections. There was divinity fudge, boiled chocolate cookies, parched peanuts, a massive container of nuts and bolts to which no pre-packaged Chex party mix can compare, an entire fruit cake, a whole chocolate pound cake, and chewing gum, candy bars, citrus fruit, pecans and walnuts in the shell to fill our stockings. The box seemed as bottomless as Mary Poppins' satchel. As each sugary confection came out of the box, my brother and I shrieked with delight and our mother groaned with defeat. <laughs> In a last ditch effort, she tried to hide all of this and dole it out in small portions, but my stepfather would come home every evening and begin to search for it and her scheme would be thwarted and eventually she just left it all out on the kitchen counter. Every year that we were in California for Christmas, Greyhound would call and say that our package had arrived. And over the years, many treasures arrived in the box. Homemade Afghans, an heirloom family quilt, handmade Christmas decorations, a check to help with the purchase of my first car. Even after I moved out of the house, the box continued to arrive and my friends and roommates at college were always astounded and delighted by its contents. My grandmother was able to package and ship magic and love. She is long gone and greatly missed. 
On my front door now hangs the poinsettia bouquet with the silver bells to announce the arrival of holiday guests. I have mastered many of her recipes, though good divinity still eludes me. When the Christmas season arrives and I am driving and see a Greyhound bus on the highway, I remember Granny fondly and think to myself, in the belly of that machine may travel some child's Christmas. Leonard Lee Smith is a hairdresser by trade, but he can be found telling stories at various venues all across our country and especially in Birmingham, Alabama. In fact, he just recently told a version of this story in New York City on the main stage for our friends at The Moth, and we couldn't be more proud of him. You can find him on Twitter at LLSmithStory or at his website LLSmithStoryteller.com. In our next story, our teller is looking more forward to Christmas at her grandmother's than anything else until suddenly some of the magic begins to disappear. Find out what happens next after this break. We all love stories. And if you're anything like me, then the stories you love the most are the ones that do much more than simply entertain you. They move you or inspire you or help you make sense of the world around you. And that's why I am so thankful for AL.com. They are so much more than a news site and always go well beyond a just the facts approach to the news of the day. Like us, the good people at AL.com are storytellers who help connect me to everything that's going on in my community, in my state, and even to what's going on around the world. Plus, as Alabama's number one media site, AL.com is the perfect platform to help you tell the story of your product or business. So engage with them today. They've made it so easy, their site is right there in their name. Simply visit AL.com. I know many of you are probably listening right now as you frantically run around trying to finish up some last-minute gift buying. But don't worry, everything's going to be okay. You don't have to get us anything fancy. All we really want is an iTunes review. It is the perfect way to let us know what you think and to help others find out about us. And if you do, in Whoville they say, our hearts will grow three sizes that day. So... With that in mind, I want to say a special thank you to Pa011 for your recent review. We are so happy to be your jam. Now, when you're a kid, there is often nothing more magical than the holidays. But of course, then you grow up. And oddly, that magic begins to lose its luster. And that is not something many of us would ever desire. That's certainly true in our next story. This one's from our annual holiday event from two years ago, where our theme was also Tis the Season, Stories About the Holidays. Here's storyteller Melody Taylor. My Nana was magical. I know what you're thinking. I know that you're thinking that all of your grandparents are magical too, but my Nana really was. She wore monochromatic outfits all the time. She had a bow for every occasion, and she was like the Mary Poppins of Nanas. 
my parents called her this word that I never really understood, and that word was eccentric. I always thought that meant awesome and magical. Pretty sure that is exactly what it means. And she lived in this magical house. It was in this magical town called Chattanooga. And it was in this magical neighborhood with all these hills and valleys. And it was at the bottom of this impossibly steep hill. And it had wrought iron doors made by my grandfather that I had never known. And behind that door was my Nana. And she always greeted us with hugs and kisses and her specialty, Eskimo kisses. No one else could give Eskimo kisses like my Nana. And I, being the favorite, if Eskimo kisses were the currency, I was the most rich. <laughs> and my Nana lived kind of an odd existence. Um, she took care of my great-grandparents. Um, after my grandfather died, she had this great big empty house, and so she took in her parents. This may seem odd, especially because she worked night shift at Walmart. I thought this was normal. Uh, it was just kind of part of the wonder of my Nana. It always confused me when I would ask my friends what Walmart their Nana worked at, because I thought this was very normal. Um, so she lived this kind of odd life, and looking back, it's very strange, but to me, it was just part of the wonder that was my Nana. Um, the upstairs of the house was devoted to my great-grandparents, but then downstairs was this magic, magic basement of red shag carpet. It was amazing. And deep in the darkest corner of this basement, in a room with no windows, shot out all light and all sound, was my Nana's room. And because I was the favorite, I got to sleep with my Nana. And this was really exciting, because she slept in a king-size, motorized, adjustable, heating-equipped, vibrating bed. <laughs> Magic, y'all. It was so exciting. And I was always kind of scared of the dark, except at Nana's house, because she would tuck me in, and she would turn on my heating blanket, and then she would walk all the way around the bed and climb in her side of the king-size bed, and she always seemed so far away. And, and she would, you know, put on lotion and wrap toilet paper around her head and, and turn on her, her heating blanket and turn off the light. And then about the time that I would get a little bit nervous about how dark it was, I would start scooting towards the middle of the bed and find her hand reaching for mine. And she would grab it and she'd say, are you ready? I'd say, yeah. And we would count to three and she would turn on the vibrator. <laughs> and I swear we would zoom through the night. And I was so safe. And I was with my magical Nana. There was one Christmas that really sticks out in my brain, and um, that Christmas, we were spending Christmas Eve with my Nana. This was not normal. Usually we went before or after Christmas, but we were spending the Christmas with my Nana. And I didn't really know why, but I was totally okay with it because that meant Christmas Eve in Nana's bed. Yes. So, um, so we arrive and we get hugs and kisses and Eskimo kisses, and then we see this massive pile of presents. I have four siblings. Christmases were not extravagant. They weren't awful, but this was more presence than we had ever seen in our lives. And of course, we lost our minds. I mean, we were on that floor shaking presents, finding the ones with our names. And over my head, I was about 10 at the time, and my, my parents were talking to my Nana, 
And I, I kind of stopped what I was doing. My siblings were like going crazy around me. And I, I stopped what I was doing and I was listening and they were like asking her where the presents came from. And I was like, from the store, duh. Um, but they weren't really happy about the presents. And they kept asking my Nana like where she got them and, and all these questions. And, and my Nana was like really excited that we were excited and it was just weird. So later that night, we were um, downstairs in the magical red shag carpeted basement, and, uh, and we were watching TV on the cable television, which was a big deal, and we were all very engrossed in that, and my parents were helping my Nana out with, um, like, just stuff around the house. This was normal. Whenever they were there, they were helping her with things, and, and all of a sudden, my attention was drawn to a conversation that my Nana and Dad were having over the answer machine, and, and my dad was trying to get a message off the answering machine that my Nana said was on there. And she kept saying, I left a message for Teddy. And that was, that was my Uncle Ted. And my dad said, well, right, so it's on Uncle Ted's answer machine. And she said, right, so you need to get it off. And he said, no, I can't get it off because it's on Uncle Ted's answer machine. And she's like, well, but no, it's right here. And if you would just, you deleted it. You, and all of a sudden it became like, I had never seen my Nana angry. And she was like pointing her finger at my dad. And, and he was like laughing, but it wasn't happy laughter. It was just weird. So that night was Christmas Eve and I was really excited, obviously. I mean, it was Christmas Eve and I was with my Nana. And so I got ready for bed and I got in bed and I waited and Nana didn't come. So I turned off my lamp and I waited and my Nana didn't come. So I turned on the heating blanket and that was really exciting for about five minutes. And I waited and my Nana didn't come. And so I remembered how to turn on the vibrator and that was really exciting for about five minutes. But my Nana didn't come. And now I was torn. I was really excited about Christmas, but there was something wrong. This was not normal. She should, she should be there with me. I woke up the next morning and her lamp was still on. I hadn't, I couldn't bring myself to turn it off. Christmas day is kind of a blur. There were a lot of presents and I think that's all that my 10 year old brain could absorb. But the day after Christmas, after another night of the light being left on, I walked up the staircase and into the kitchen and there was my mom and my Nana's friend, Miss Aunt Kay. And Miss Aunt Kay and my mom were having this conversation, but it was in like that weird adult hushed tone. And so I figured I probably shouldn't be listening. So of course I got my cereal and sat really close to the television and totally listened to what they were saying. And they, they were talking about my Nana, but they kept talking about her like that she needed something. And they kept using these words that I really didn't understand. And they kept talking about taking her to this place that I had never heard of. And I, I really couldn't put my finger on what they were talking about, plus they were talking you know, in that hushed tone. But I just knew something was wrong. And I, I agreed that my Nana needed help. I mean, she hadn't been to bed in two nights, and that was weird, and she obviously needed help going to bed. But there was just something else weird. And then my Nana walked in the room, and she looked different. My always on, always bubbly, always happy Nana 
looked tired and out of place and lost. And Miss Aunt Kay said, Nana, get your things. It's time to go. And Nana got this funny look on her face, and she was like, uh, where are we going? And Miss Kay said, well, don't you remember? We're, we're going. And Nana just was very confused. And suddenly I realized she didn't have anything to remember. I realized Miss Aunt Kay was lying. I didn't know adults did that. Everything in me got so angry. I was angry at them because they were lying to my Nana, and I knew that they wanted to help her, and so I kept my mouth shut because I didn't understand it. But that adult world all of a sudden had come down onto my 10-year-old world, and I didn't like it. My Nana ended up going with Miss Aunt Kay, and the next day, we packed up our things and we went home. Christmas looks a little bit different now. Uh, my grandma comes and visits us from the assisted living. We can always tell um, kind of how she's doing by how many uh, presents she brings us. If there are way more presents than mom decided on, we know she's kind of on the manic side. If she just wrote a check, we know she's kind of on the depressive side. You see, my 10-year-old Christmas, I learned the words bipolar and manic depressive. Mental illness is a very real thing. I get a little bit upset at people who say it's not, because a very real thing shook my family and hasn't quite let go. A very real wall is between me and my Nana. There are moments when it goes away. There are moments when she'll hug me and kiss me, and if it's a really good day, she'll give me an Eskimo kiss. But I always feel like I'm cheating on my Nana with this woman I call my Nana. But there are moments when she'll grab my hand, and we're back in that deep, dark, cozy basement, and we're on that magical bed and I'm safe with my magical, eccentric, very real Nana. Thank you. Melody Taylor is part of the worship staff at Dawson Family of Faith in Birmingham, Alabama, and an instructor at Dawson Music Academy. Now seriously, if you are looking for a last-minute gift and you want something really unique that your loved one can enjoy the whole year, well, we've just introduced season tickets for all of our live ARC Stories events. You can find out more at our website, arcstories.com. And from all of us here at ARC Stories, we want to wish you and yours the merriest of Christmases and the happiest of holidays. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the ARC Stories podcast. I'm Chris Kinsley, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chris Kinsley. Arc Stories is at all those places, too, at Arc Stories. This podcast is produced by me and Arc Stories director Taylor Robinson. Preston Lemongood composed our theme, and our ad music is from Ben Beany. 
Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise, as well as to Aaron Moon, Cena Etheridge, Betsy Lee, and Jake Brentley for making this episode possible. Thanks also to this episode's sponsor, AL.com. Visit them at AL.com. And visit us too at ArcStories.com. There you can listen to other stories. You can stay up to date with all of our events and everything else we have going on. And you can even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story? <laughs>